We're in Romans chapter 8. And Paul's been talking at length about what it is to live a life in the Spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And now in our verses today, he gets a, a larger question, the larger purposes of God in our lives, even in our salvation. Listen to the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the, like to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Well, that day in the locker room of my junior high football team was a total surprise. Back in the day, yeah, all those years ago, <laughs> I played second string everything on a really good junior high football team. That is to say, I wasn't that good and I didn't play a whole lot. The starters were definitely great athletes. Uh, so great that we, the prior year of the season I'm talking about, we had gone undefeated and unscored upon in all of our games. We were down to the last few games of the season trying to win the conference yet again. And we showed up in the locker room for practice one day. Old Coach Tribu was there waiting for us. He gathered all the boys around and he told us that two of our starting players had been suspended for using drugs. We needed two guys to step up for the first team. Now, the starters immediately started lobbying for the players. They wanted to take the place of the other guys. Everybody had an opinion, but old Coach Tribu, <laughs> he had the plan. He looked around the room at different people as the starters were lobbying for players, and then he looked at me. And from across the room, he pointed his finger, that old boning finger, and he said, Dean. And he walked over to me, and he grabbed my hand and said, Son, do you want to play starting offensive guard today? Now, you guys got to know, at this point, I was like as surprised as anybody in the room at that point. In front of everybody, he says this. And I was like, uh, yes, <laughs> I want to play. And that day, I went out and I played my heart out because Coach put his confidence in me not because I was necessarily a great player, but just because he put his confidence in me. Well, guys, it was a surprise that day that I got to play. But even more, while everyone had an opinion about who should play, it was very clear of one thing. Coach Tribu had the plan. It was his plan. And today in Romans 8, we are going to follow up on the implications of God's plan, particularly God's plan for our salvation that we've been looking at even here in Romans 8. 
As we've gone through Romans 8, Paul has given us little hints about the struggles and hardships of life. He's talked about sufferings. He's talked about weakness. He's talked about futility, how things just don't go the way we'd hope they would or the way we think they should. And he said that not only to everyone who lives in this world, but especially and even to Christians who you think everything would go well for as Christians. Yet, as we saw last week in Romans 8, 28, even when things don't go well, we learn that all things work for good for those who, uh, who are called according to God's purpose for those who love him. Granted, all things can be veiled in their meaning. That is, when things happen to us in life, we don't always see what's happening, and it can be painful to really understand what's going on. Yet Paul says God is working even in those things, weaving them together all in a grand story that we might not see personally right now, but he is weaving towards a greater good. So Paul gives us in verse 28 the real key to how we understand what God is doing in weaving all things together when at the end of the verse he says, according to his, that is God's purpose, he is doing all these things. He is calling us even Now, like anybody who has ever lived in good times and in hard times, we can look around at the tough circumstances in the world or even what's going on with us personally and say, purpose? I don't see any purpose in this. How is it that God is working out all things for good with a purpose when there seems to be some pain and tragedy which there seems to be no explanation for? It's as if Paul knows we're thinking this question when he says all things work together for good. He wants us, in other words, to dwell on that question. Paul explained to us why it is that all things have a purpose. Well, Paul, again, anticipates, and in verses 29, he gives us an answer to how all things work for good. Look at that text with me. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is Paul talking about here? What is he getting at when he's talking about uh, this idea of purpose? What is it that is the running stream all the way through the book of Romans and really is the thing that everyone in this room, including me, longs for when it comes to living this life that sometimes is so perplexing? The answer is Paul is talking about salvation. Salvation. Salvation being God's rescue of a people who cannot save themselves. Indeed, salvation is all throughout Romans, and we haven't realized we've been talking about it. Paul's used the language of of redemption, that is, in buying back out of slavery. He's used the language of propitiation, that's a real fancy word, used in the temple to satisfy divine justice. He's used a whole host of images such as forgiveness, sanctification, justification, all pointing towards salvation. The idea of being rescued when we can't rescue ourselves. Now, in Christian circles, we talk about salvation a lot. We talk about ourselves getting saved at some point in time. And that's very real for people like me and many of us who are here. 
We talk about how others need salvation. And that too is a beautiful thing. But here's my question. Is salvation merely a one-time event? Is salvation that one time when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, is that what God intends when he talks about salvation? Well, I would suggest to you that in Romans, the life struggles of the Romans were bringing up that question. What is exactly does it mean to be saved by God? Because I sure am struggling a lot. That's what they were thinking. And so in verse 29 through 30, Paul is trying to persuade us that God indeed has working all things for good in our salvation with a grander purpose, sometimes that we don't see. And he's done it in the past, before we were born, in the present time. Yes, he's even doing salvation in the future for us in ways we don't understand. And how is that? What does that look like? Well, verses 29 and 30 give us five aspects of salvation. This is often called in Christian history the golden chain of our salvation. Does God's saving purpose have anything to do with my life, past, present, and future? Verse 29 and 30 tell us, yes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So what are the five aspects of the golden chain? Let's talk about the first link of the chain in verse 29. It says that God has actually been in the business of saving us in time past from eternity before the world began. God foreknew us. God foreknew us. God was fully aware of you and me, our name, our personhood, long before we were ever born, even before the universe was created in time and space. And this is a little bit like parents when they're talking about getting pregnant and they start dreaming of having kids. It's a little bit like when a, a, a wife gets a pregnant uh, with a child, and the parents are really excited about that, and, and they start talking to the child in the womb. Have you ever done that? If you're, if you're a parent-to-be, you're just talking to them. You even give the kid a name before they're born. That's the same kind of knowledge with which God knows us. Like children, prior to birth, God knows us. But let me be really clear. This isn't just knowing about us. The gospel says a profound thing that we're not just talking about knowing about someone. Did you see verse 29? It said, whom God foreknew. Whom God foreknew. Guys, this isn't mere factual knowledge. This is personal knowledge. Personal knowledge. And we know from the Old Testament, when someone knows another person, there is an intimate connection to that knowing. Be it between friends, husband and wife, a whole host of other, others. This is a personal knowing. And, and, and it is even, if you will, a delighting in someone. A delighting in someone just as a parent would delight in a child before the child is even born and ever knows they are delighted in. 
In fact, the best way to describe foreknowing is for loving. For to know in a biblical sense is to love. To love. So here's the gospel about God's purpose in our salvation. Even when it seems like he's not around, God loved you before the world began. He knew you personally, by name, and was deeply interested and delighted in you. That's how purposeful he was about you and me from eternity. If you're exploring what it means to be a Christian today, I've been in your shoes before. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know about this stuff, about this Jesus. But when I heard that though I was sinful and broken, and yeah, I had to come clean with that because it was very obvious to me in my soul with the guilt I carried around. When I heard that there was a God who loved me even from eternity, it changed everything. A God who knew me and was personally interested in me? That I'm not just a number in a big company. Oh, what's your name? But I'm Dean, Wesley Dean Faulkner to God. It changed everything for me. There is a second way that God has been purposeful from eternity in our salvation that shows up in our text. It says that in our text, God also predestined us from eternity. Predestined is to choose, to plan, to ordain what will come to pass. Just like old Coach Tribute pointed his finger across the room and said, I choose you, Dean. So God does the same with each of us. Now, I realize and freely admit that predestination is a loaded concept. <laughs> and it's a loaded word for all kinds of people. It's a biblical concept that's often ignored, sometimes scorned, but really is intended to be celebrated, as Paul is really doing in our text here. Predestination is ignored by many Christians because it seems so controversial. However, it is mentioned in the Bible many times, and if something's mentioned in the Bible many times, it's probably important, and we need to think about it and what the Bible intends by it. And let's be honest, predestination is a scorned doctrine, often by culture, sometimes with those in the church. It seems outrageous to us and to our world that God would have a particular plan for people and would choose certain people versus other people. In other words, in our world, we want a society to be like kids' sports when they're little kids. You know what I'm talking about. Where everyone wins and everyone gets a trophy at the end of the season. The problem with this assumption, according to Christianity, and even from Paul in Romans 3, among other places, is that nobody deserves a trophy. And let me include myself in that. I don't deserve a trophy. Even this week, in an encounter with a good brother and friend, I was reminded once again of my own brokenness and how much I need Christ in my sinfulness. How I don't deserve what God provides in His grace. You see, no one deserves a trophy. 
And that means if that this is true, that sin disqualifies us from receiving the trophy of God, then when we talk about predestination, we're not talking about what's fair for us or anybody else. We are talking about grace. We are talking about how God gives a free gift of his kindness to you and to me by choosing some to be his children, not because the some are particularly good people. Look who he chose in scripture that we know about. Moses, David, and the Apostle Paul. You know what they all have in common? They weren't paragons of piety. They were murderers. They killed people in their own passions. So clearly, no one deserves the trophy of eternal life. Predestination is entirely about something within God that he chooses us from eternity. And that can be a difficult thing to own. And I want to tell you, if you're struggling right now with what I'm saying, I get it. Been there. Know what you're talking about. Know what you're feeling. And here's what I tell you. Hang on. Because in another month or so, we're going to be in chapter 9. We're going to talk about it again. We're even going to have small groups after uh, during the week to kind of process through this stuff. Wait till we get to chapter 9. Just hang on. But I will address one thing that many often see in this text that I want to kind of clarify. And that's this. Many would say, and these are well-intentioned, good brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, these are fellow Christians, would say that God not only foreknew, he also predestined. That is, God looked down the corridor of history before he created the world and said, who's going to choose me? I will choose them. This is what we call Arminianism. It is well-intentioned. It is an attempt to preserve how men make responsible choices. However, it is confusing and gets away from grace. Because in this case, God chooses us based on our choice. But what I'm suggesting today is God doesn't choose us on the basis of our choice. He chooses us on the basis of something within him. His love and his grace, his compassion. And let me tell you why that's freeing for how you live in this life. Because if it's all up to you and your belief to get everything pulled off, even as you're trying to follow Jesus, what happens when your faith is low? Does that mean God loves you less? Because he did base, make his basis of his decision on your faith after all, didn't he? No. You see, God's so committed to you and to me that he chooses us based on him and him alone. And once he has secured that choice, that love will never change. That compassion for you, that kindness, albeit sometimes with discipline, but with kindness nonetheless, that is what he directs towards us. You see, we believe in our church that God, that there are actually two choices when it comes to faith, God's choice and man's choice, and we give God the credit every time for the first choice. That's what we're saying. God's choice is out of his love. And the gospel means that if he actually chose us out of just his compassion and not because of us and anything we do, even in faith, he is utterly committed to you to the end with all grace. That 
gives us hope. Even when our faith is wavering in hard times. Third link of the golden chain. Is it says that uh, God called us. When the Bible talks about calling, it means several things. Sometimes we send the gospel out and we tell a lot of people, like we're going to do a good news club, to other people all over uh, the world. That's the universal call of the gospel. But this here, this is the effectual call. The personal call that God does with the gospel in the spirit to change our hearts. To transform us. This is where we have an encounter with God in time and space. Ephesians 2 says we are dead in sin. When we're dead in sin, that means we cannot naturally choose God. We need Him to make us alive in a call through the power of the Holy Spirit to breathe life into our souls so we are born again. That is what Paul is talking about here. At that moment, we are transformed. At that moment, we have a new future As we are then able to believe and act through God's resurrecting power. So the gospel of our salvation gets better and better. God loved us from eternity. He chose us from eternity. He brought life to our souls and the power of the spirit and the calling. And he does that in a lot of circumstances in life. If that isn't intentionality of purpose... For you and for me, for all of God's people, nothing is. The next time you think that your salvation and God's mysterious purpose doesn't make sense, go back. Remember when he saved you from out of dark things, even your sin. How he redeemed you that moment you first believed. That is what Paul is calling us to. God says you're forgiven. And we get to that point in the next link where he talks about how God justifies us. I won't spend much time here. You can go back and listen to other sermons uh, on this in in Romans chapter 3 and 4 and 5. But justification is that legal transaction that takes place. That once we believe in Christ, after he's called us, we act in belief upon him. Then what happens is the judge shows up, God himself, and says, you are forgiven of your sin through Christ. And your life is that of righteousness. Your whole life is considered righteous because Christ's righteousness covers you. You are free, is what God says. Free from sin. Free to choose the way of Christ. Now, the beautiful thing about this is if God has said you are not guilty, he also frees us up to enjoy life with him in eternity as his family. We'll get to that in a second. But Paul gives us the final link here in our golden chain of salvation. It says, uh, Paul tells us that uh, in the midst of God's purpose, God has glorified us. Did you see that in the last part of our verses? Did you notice this is past tense? Meaning he seems like he has already glorified us, and certainly he's begun that process in us by making us new creations. But this is the past tense of the Old Testament, the prophetic past tense, that says something has happened in a way that's talking about what will happen. 
In fact, this is that prophetic past tense that is saying, your glorification is so sure to happen when Jesus comes back, when you go to heaven, that you will be glorified with Christ. One of these days, you and I are going to die unless Jesus returns. And I do not say that to depress us. I certainly don't want to be depressed myself. But I do say it because we have to come to grips with our mortality. We have an end. And we have to come to grips with that end ourselves. There's only one way to glory according to Scripture. Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to know God intimately and be uh, ushered into true glory as God intended it with us and with our world. It's Christ himself. And today, Jesus is calling us to have hope that he has got our future laid out for us, that we will be glorified one day, and that the hardships we encounter now are nothing compared to the joys and the sweetness of being in the presence of God for eternity on a new heavens and a new earth with a new body. I mean, that'll be crazy joyful. Crazy good, crazy happy, crazy pleasure. Jesus has got this stored up for us as a part of his purpose and plan in our salvation. So there's the golden chain. Five chains, of five links to the chain that God foreknew us from eternity. He predestined us from eternity. He called us in time and space in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. He justified us in the courtroom of God. And he will glorify us one day. There is, in other words, a purpose to God. There is a purpose to God in your life. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, a movie came out. It was called A River Runs Through It. It's a movie about uh, this Presbyterian pastor and his family and his two boys in particular and how they were growing up in life and how everything in their lives really centered around the river. Everything happened in their lives and it happened around and in and through the river with amazing things these kids were learning as they were growing up into young men. My favorite part, of course, is when the father catches, all, all three of them catch some trout, and they lay out their trout and say, what a, how, isn't this a beautiful trout that one of the sons says? And then Noah says, yeah, and mine even more beautiful. And, the, and uh, the father says, well, mine's even more beautiful and blessed than yours. Look at how God blessed me, a bigger fish. Well, you know what's kind of cool? Is that God's purpose is what runs as a river through your life. You want to know when sometimes your life doesn't make sense, what's going on? It's God's purpose is running through your life. And you and I right now just don't see it in its holistic beauty in the story that God is laying out in our lives. So the question remains then for us. In light of the purpose of God and our salvation, these five key things that he has done from eternity in time and space, even for our future so what? What does this have to do with our lives? What are the applications that show up for us? Well, let me give you five applications. Five applications briefly that will help us to understand how we can live this out in our lives. 
First, did you notice that God does all these things in the golden chain of salvation and that he's the one motivating them? God is the subject of each sentence. God is the one who foreknows us. God is the one who predestines. God is the one who glorifies us. See, Paul is showing that God does a saving, that we don't save ourselves. And that is really a freeing thing. Because if it's up to me in some way to save myself, which, by the way, all the religions of the world except Christianity says, then I'm in trouble. Because I know that at some point I'm going to get it wrong. I know I get it wrong. No matter how hard I try, I get it wrong at some point. So if it's God and me accomplishing my salvation, I'm in trouble. But if it's God alone who accomplishes my salvation, I can have hope. Because he has come through yet again for me. In light of this, we can also say that the chain of salvation will never be broken because God does it. God started it. He'll end it. God's the one who is holding it all together as he rescues us. That is why it's important that we receive Christ by faith and rest on his work and not our own good works. And if you're exploring Christ today, I would say the radical piece about Christianity that shows up that I always thought was strange was this. Christianity says not only do you need to repent of your sin, you need to repent of your good works. What do I mean by that? Well, we not only need to turn away from our sin, but we need to turn away from relying on the good things we do for God as somehow sourcing our salvation. Trust in Christ alone. He's the one alone who can give us life. Second application. The chain begins with God's love. It ends in our glory along with God's glory. And what that means is that God has a purpose in every piece. Nothing is wasted in this grand plan, this tapestry that he's putting together of our lives with one another, even in history as we know it. God has sovereignly put together a purpose a plan to everything. And another way to say it is, is whenever hard things are happening with you physically, financially, relationally, maritally, spiritually, God is still in the saving business. I think we forget this sometimes, even as Christians. We will pray, thanks God that you saved me back when I first received you years ago. But we don't think, man, I need you to save me right now. I need you to save me with this and, and that. Help me, Lord. Don't you understand? That first time you receive Christ and your forgiveness of sins has been communicated so clearly to you, that's just one step among many where you are being saved by God. Indeed, God has saved you once and for all in your justification. He is saving you. In your sanctification. And one day he will finally and fully save you. Fully. In your glorification with Christ. Third. God's purpose in salvation is laid out in verse 29. Have you ever wondered why am I going through such hard things. Like futility in life for us guys. When things just don't go the way we want them to. Have you ever wondered why there's so much, I feel so weak, so unable to help in this situation? Have you ever wondered why the suffering and people are, can be difficult with us? Or sometimes we can be difficult with people and our own sin shows up? What is God doing with all that? 
Well, verse 29 lays it out for us. You ready? He says that we've been predestined to become... To, uh, to be conformed to the image of His Son. There's kind of the temporal purpose of what God is after. The penultimate purpose, if you will. That, that word for image is icon. You know, that's what you see on your, on your desktop when you open up your computer. A little icon of a computer verse, a computer uh, program. Well, here, the language is that of us representing Christ as an icon on a desktop. And of course, this harkens back to Genesis 1, where God created all men in His image. He made us in His image to bring glory to Him, giant mirrors reflecting His character and holiness. But with Adam and Eve, and even with us, that image is shattered. But Christ came to restore the image through the cross and the work of the Spirit. You realize that every single event that you and I experience, while we cannot know for sure what God intends, is a part of His saving plan. Good times, hard times, stressful times, yes, even times where our sin comes out sideways, God has planned it, and He reveals us so that we might need Christ yet again in our lives. And we might pursue Him in new faith and new repentance so that we might be more glorious and more holy. Don't you understand? When God says, be holy as I am holy, He's talking about in the warp and woof of tough times, of good times, of everything you encounter. That's what He's talking about. Fourth, Paul tells us that the ultimate purpose where this is all going, in verse 29, is that Christ will be the firstborn among many brethren. Just a couple implications of that. You're going to be in a family. In heaven, when we're all together, the family will be brought together. We're getting a taste of that here as the family of God in church every week. But one day we'll be centered around Christ, who is the priority, who is the first one, who is our chief Lord that we give our lives to and follow Him. And the implication is we live now like we've gone to heaven and come back from the dead. With Jesus as Lord of our lives, we follow Him now in what we do. We yield to Him and do things the way Jesus would do it because that's the way the family works in Christianity. Fifth and finally, all that we go through in this life is designed by God for our good. Christian, look for the blessing of even the hard moments. Pray for God in little salvations and big salvations in your life. When you pray for salvation, as the psalmists do over and over again, you know what it does to your soul? It gives you hope. It gives you hope that when God saves me, And I don't know what that will look like, but when he does, I will worship him yet again. Because he's the one who comes through for me every time as my one true savior. In other words, God has a grand purpose in his salvation for us. Even in this chain, there is magnificent purpose for you. I can't tell you why you encounter hardship even now, but I can tell you where it's going. The glory of God, your conformity to Christ's image, Christ glorified as the Lord of all. 
And that's real glory in God's kingdom. In conclusion, I told you earlier in the sermon, I began with this whole story of how my football coach called me across the room. And, you know, I played the last few games. We won our games. It was really exciting. But the glory didn't end there. Near the end of the, after the end of the season, rather, we had our banquet for all the uh, teams and the fall sports getting together and awards banquet. And, and, I mean, I hadn't done a whole lot. I was just a lowly lineman on the last few games after two years of playing together and winning a lot as a team. And uh, in the awards ceremony, Coach Tribute begins the whole thing by calling up two guys to be honorary captains to distribute all the awards. He called up our starting quarterback, and he called up me. Once again, I had no idea this was coming. But oh, how I was honored. Honored so that even to this day, I enjoy seeing Coach Tribute when I used to see him out on the golf course. <laughs> A beautiful thing it was. God is going to honor you one day. He's going to honor you, not because you deserve it, but because Christ has accomplished everything through this golden chain of your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have loved us so generously. You've known us. You've predestined us. You called us. You justified us. And one day, you will glorify us fully and finally in eternity. We pray today, Lord, that you would give us a heart to know that you are so interested in our lives, you want to redeem us. For some of us, that might be for the first time. And I pray, Lord, for those hearts as they wrestle with a lot of these ideas, that you would give them a vision of yourself, Jesus as the one true Savior. For those of us, Lord, who have followed you for years, maybe even decades, remind us of how we need to be saved again and again. Though we've been saved once and for all, there are the little salvations we need. And that is where we meet you. That is where we encounter you and know you. Help us to call out on you yet again. As you save so many saints of old, save us yet again. Hear our prayers today, Lord, with thanks that you are all, all to us. In Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand as adopted sons and daughters and praise our Lord. And precious cornerstone, sure foundation. You are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. And precious cornerstone, sure foundation. You are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus.
team and elders to come forward. If you would like to pray, we'd love to pray with you as we seek salvation, not only once and for all for the first time, but also daily in those little things that God does to deliver us. Uh, Now I want to encourage you with a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord.